for tuning in to 2020 Bible Stories, where we read the unforgettable stories of the Bible with open eyes and clear views. I'm your host and storyteller, me. And I'm Fish, your thought commentator, where I'll be giving, giving my thoughts on the story, or based on the story thus far. Right. Because every story isn't always read in its entirety during that episode because they can't be a bit lengthy, but... We do try to learn something, you know, that might take us a ways away, which is why we call them takeaways. And we encourage you to send us your takeaways too, as well as your thoughts and requests to 2020BibleStories at gmail.com. Let's get it. All right. Now that we've gotten the pleasantries out of the way, let's start today's episode. That's it. Let's get it. Yeah, you said it before you was supposed to, though. It's all right. Let's go. All right. Let's start it. Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to 2020 Bible Stories with Meek and Fish, where we read the unforgettable stories of the Bible with open eyes and clear views. I'm your host and storyteller, Meek, and with me as always. Fish, your thought commentator. Last week, we left off in Judges chapter 18 with idolatry in the tribe of Dan and how it, which is idolatry, and sin crept into nearly every corner of the Israelite culture. This week, we will continue reading the final three chapters of Judges. So this is the last episode well, not the actual last episode of the season because we always wrap it up with the moral of the story, but this is the last episode of the reading of Judges. It's only three chapters here, and we're going to begin again with chapter 19, the Levite and his concubine. All right. 19. Now, in those days, Israel had no king. There was a man from the tribe of Levi living in a remote area of the hill country of Ephraim. One day he brought home a woman from Bethlehem in Judah to be his concubine. But she became angry with him and returned to her father's home in Bethlehem. After about four months, her husband set out for Bethlehem to speak personally to her and persuade her to come back. He took with him a servant and a pair of donkeys. When he arrived at her father's house, her father saw him and welcomed him. Her father urged him to stay a while, so he stayed three days, eating, drinking, and sleeping there. On the fourth day, the man was up early, ready to leave. But the woman's father said to his son-in-law, have something to eat before you go. So the two men sat down together and had something to eat and drink. Then the woman's father said, please stay another night and enjoy yourself. The man got up to leave, but his father-in-law kept urging him to stay. So he finally gave in and stayed the night. On the morning of the fifth day, he was up early again, ready to leave. And again, the woman's father said, have something to eat with me. Then you can leave later this afternoon. So they had another day of feasting. Later, as the man and his concubine and servant were preparing to leave, his father-in-law said, look, it's almost evening. Stay tonight and enjoy yourself. Tomorrow you can get up early and be on your way. 
But this time, the man was determined to leave. So he took his two-saddle donkey and his concubine and headed in the direction of Jabus, that is Jerusalem. It was late in the day when they neared Jebus and the man, or Jabus, whatever you want to see, J-E-B-U-S. And the man's servant said to him, let's stop at this Jebusite. Jebus, maybe that's what that is. Since they said, let's stop at this Jebusite. Um, let's stop at this Jebusite town and spend the night there. No, his master said, we can't stay in this foreign town where there are no Israelites. Instead, we will go on to Gebeah. Come on, let's try to go as far as Gebeah or Ramah, and we'll spend the night in one of those towns. So they went on. The sun was setting as they came to Gebeah, a town in the land of Benjamin. So they stopped there to spend the night. They rested in the town square, but no one took them in for the night. That evening, an old man came home from his work in the field. He was from the hill country of Ephraim, but he was living in Gebeah, where the people were from the tribe of Benjamin. When he saw the travelers sitting in the town square, he asked them where they were from and where they were going. When he, we have been in Bethlehem and Judah, the man replied. We are on our way to a remote area in the hill country of Ephraim, which is my home. I traveled to Bethlehem and I'm now returning home. But no one has taken us in for the night, even though we have everything we need. We have straw and feed for our donkeys and plenty of bread and wine for ourselves. You are welcome to stay with me, the old man said. I will give you anything you might need. But whatever you do, don't spend the night in the square. So he took them home with him and fed the donkeys after they washed their feet. They ate and drank together. While they were enjoying themselves, a crowd of troublesome, <laughs> troublesome, a crowd of troublemakers from the town surrounded the house. They began beating at the door and shouting to the old man, bring out the man who was staying with you so we can have sex with him. The old man stepped outside to talk to them. No, my brothers, don't do such an evil thing. For this man is a guest in my house, and such a thing would be shameful. Here, take my virgin daughter and this man's concubine. I will bring them out to you, and you can abuse them and do whatever you like. But don't do such a shameful thing to this man. But they wouldn't listen to him. So the Levite took hold of his concubine and pushed her out the door. The men of the town abused her all night, turning, taking turns raping her until morning. Finally, at dawn, they let her go. At daybreak, the woman returned to the house where her husband was staying. She collapsed at the door of the house and lay there until it was light. When her husband opened the door to leave, there lay his concubine with her hands on the threshold. He said, get up, let's go. But there was no answer. So he put her body on his donkey and took her home. When he got home, he took a knife and cut his concubine's body into 12 pieces. Then he sent one piece to each tribe throughout all the territory of Israel.
everyone who saw it said such a horrible crime has not been committed in all the time since Israel left Egypt. Think about it. What are we going to do? Who's going to speak up? Then all the Israelites were united as one man. From Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south including those from across the Jordan in the land of Gilead. The entire community assembled in the presence of the Lord at Mizpah. The leaders of all the people and all the tribes of Israel, 400,000 warriors armed with swords, took their positions in the assembly of the people of God. Word soon reached the land of Benjamin that the other tribes had gone up to Mizpah. The Israelites then asked how this terrible crime had happened. The Levite, the husband of the woman who had been murdered, said, My concubine and I came to spend the night at Gebeah, a town that belongs to the people of Benjamin. That night, some of the leading citizens of Gebeah surrounded the house, planning to kill me, and they raped my concubine until she was dead. So I cut her body into 12 pieces and sent the pieces throughout the territory assigned to Israel. For these men have committed a terrible and shameful crime. Now then, all of you, the entire community of Israel, must decide here and now what should be done about this. And all the people rose to their feet in unison and declared, none of us will return home. No, not even one of us. Instead, this is what we would do to Gabea. We would draw lots to decide who will attack it. One-tenth of the men from each tribe will be chosen to supply the warriors with food, and the rest of us will be taking revenge on Gabea of Benjamin for this shameful thing they have done in Israel. So all the Israelites were completely united, and they gathered together to attack the town. The Israelites sent messengers to the tribe of Benjamin saying, what a terrible thing has been done among you. Give us those evil men, those troublemakers from Gebeah, so we can execute them and purge Israel of this evil. But the people of Benjamin would not listen. Instead, they came from their towns and gathered at Gebeah to fight Israel. In all, 26,000 of their warriors armed with swords arrived at Gebeah to join the 700 elite troops who lived there. Among is Benjamin's elite troops, 700 were left-handed, and each of them could sling a rock and hit a target within and within a hair's breadth without missing. Israel had 400,000 experienced soldiers armed with swords, not counting Benjamin's warriors. Before the battle, the Israelites went to Bethel and asked God, which tribe should go first to attack the people of Benjamin? The Lord answered, Judah is to go first. So the Israelites left early the next morning and camped near Gebeah. Then they advanced toward Gebeah to attack the men of Benjamin. But Benjamin's warriors who were defending the town came out and killed 22,000 Israelites on the battlefield that day. But the Israelites encouraged each other and took their positions again at the same place they had fought the previous day.
for they had gone up to Bethel and wept in the presence of the Lord until evening. They had asked the Lord, should we fight against our relatives from Benjamin again? And the Lord had said, go out and fight them again. So the next day they went out again to fight against the men of Benjamin. But the men of Benjamin killed another 18,000 Israelites, all of whom were experienced with swords. Then all the Israelites went up to Bethel and wept in the presence of the Lord and fasted until evening. They also brought burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. The Israelites went up seeking direction from the Lord. In those days, the Ark of the Covenant of God was in Bethel. And Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the grandson of Arian, was the priest. Aaron. The Israelites asked the Lord, should we fight against our relatives from Benjamin again? Or should we stop? The Lord said, go. Tomorrow I will hand them over to you. So the Israelites set an ambush all around the bed. They went out on the third day and took their positions at the same place as before. When the men and Benjamin came out to attack, they were drawn away from the town. And as they had done before, they began to kill the Israelites. About 30 Israelites died in the open fields and along the road, one leading to Bethel and the other leading back to the bed. Then the warriors of Benjamin shouted, we're defeating them as we did before. But the Israelites had planned in advance to run away so that the men of Benjamin would chase them along the roads and be drawn away from the town. When the main group of Israelite warriors reached Baal Tamar, they turned and took up their positions. Meanwhile, the Israelites hiding in ambush to the west of the bed jumped up the fight. There were 10,000 elite Israelite troops who advanced against the bear. The fighting was so heavy that Benjamin didn't realize the impeding disaster. So the Lord helped Israel defeat Benjamin. And that day, the Israelites killed 25,100 of Benjamin's warriors, all of whom were experienced warriors. Then the men of Benjamin saw that they were beaten. The Israelites have retreated from Benjamin's warriors in order to give those hiding in ambush more room to maneuver against Gibeah. Then those who were hiding rushed in from all sides and killed everyone in the town. They had arranged to send up a large cloud of smoke from the town as a signal. When the Israelites saw the smoke, they turned and attacked Benjamin's warriors. By that time, Benjamin's warriors had killed about 30 Israelites and they shouted, we're defeating them as we did the first battle. But when the warriors of Benjamin looked behind them and saw the smoke rising into the sky from every part of the town, the men of Israel turned and attacked. At this point, the men of Benjamin became terrified because they realized disaster was close at hand. So they turned around and fled before the Israelites toward the wilderness, but they couldn't escape the battle and the people who came out of the nearby towns were also killed. The Israelites surrounded the men of Benjamin and chased them relentlessly, finally overtaking them east of the bear. That day, 18,000 of Benjamin's strongest warriors died in battle. The survivors fled into the wilderness towards the rock of Remen, but Israel killed 5,000 of them along the road. 
they continued the chase until they had killed another 2,000 near Gidim. So that day, the tribe of Benjamin lost 25,000 strong warriors armed with swords, leaving only 600 men who escaped to the rock of Rimen, or Rimen, but I'm saying Rimen, where they lived for four months. And the Israelites returned and slaughtered every single thing in all the town, the people, the livestock, and everything they found. They also burned down all the towns they came to. 21. The Israelites had vowed at Mizpah, we will never give our daughters in marriage to a man from the tribe of Benjamin. Now the people went to Bethel and sat in the presence of God until evening, weeping loudly and bitterly. O Lord, God of Israel, they cried out, why has this happened in Israel? Now one of our tribes is missing from Israel. Early the next morning, the people built an altar and presented their burnt offerings and peace offerings on it. Then they said, who among the tribes of Israel did not join us at Mizpah when we held our assembly in the presence of the Lord? At that time, they had taken a solemn oath in the Lord's presence, vowing that anyone who refused to come would be put to death. The Israelites felt sorry for their brother Benjamin and said, today, one of the tribes of Israel has been cut off. How can we find wives for the few who remain? Since we have sworn by the Lord not to give any of our daughters in marriage. So they asked, who among the tribes of Israel did not join us at Mizpah when we assembled in the presence of the Lord? And they discovered that no one from Jabesh Gilead had attended the assembly. For after they counted all the men, no one from Jabesh Gilead were present, was present. So the assembly sent 12,000 of their best warriors to Jabesh, Jabesh Gilead with orders to kill everyone there, including women and children. This is what you are to do, they said. Completely destroy all the males and every woman who is not a virgin. Among the residents of Jabesh Gilead, they found 400 young virgins who had never slept with a man, and they brought them to the camp of Shiloh in the land of Canaan. The Israelite assembly sent a peace delegation to the remaining people of Benjamin who were living at the Rock of Remen. Then the men of Benjamin returned to their homes, and the 400 women of Jabesh Gilead who had been spared were given to them as wives. But there were not enough women for all the men. The people felt sorry for Benjamin because the Lord had made this gap among the tribes of Israel. So the elders of the assembly asked, how can we find wives for the few who remain? Since the women of the tribe of Benjamin are dead, there must be heirs for the survivors so that an entire tribe of Israel is not wiped out. But we cannot give them our own daughters in marriage because we have sworn with a solemn oath that anyone who does this will fall under God's curse. Then they thought of the annual festival of the Lord held at Shiloh, south of Lebanon and north of Bethel, along the east side of the road that goes from Bethel to Shechem. They told the men of Benjamin who still needed wives, 
go and hide in the vineyards. When you see the young women in Shiloh, come out for their dances. Rush out from the vineyards and each of you can take one of them home to the land of Benjamin to be your wife. And when their fathers and brothers come to us in protest, we will tell them, please be sympathetic. Let them have your daughters. For we didn't find wives for all of them when we destroyed Jabez Gilead. And you are not guilty of breaking the vow since you did not actually give your daughters to them in marriage. So the men of Benjamin did as they were told. Each man caught one of the women as she danced in the celebration and carried her off to be his wife. They returned to their own land and they rebuilt their towns and lived in them. Then the people of Israel departed by tribes and families, and they returned to their own home. In those days, Israel became no king. All the people did never seem right in their own eyes. That is the end of Judges and the conquest. Kind of been ended a little bit, but that's the end of the book of Judges. We are going to take a quick break right here and be right back with the takeaway. All right. We are back with the takeaways. And my first takeaway is now this story included everybody. The individuals, the tribe, the priest, and the nation. Yet again, displaying what could happen when you stop letting God guide you. They became no better than the evil people around them. So my takeaway, when you leave God out of your life, you may be shocked at what you're capable of doing. Thoughts, comments? Nope. That is good. Um... She became angry with him, also read, or she was unfaithful to him. So the section where I read that the wife wanted to leave the husband because she was angry with him, that basically also reads or translations, and I'm guessing I'm going to say the Hebrews or the uh, yeah, King James Version, is that um, she was unfaithful to him. So, I'm guessing that's why she left and went back to the father because she cheated on him. She was unfaithful. She went back to the daddy house and he went back to go get her. And when he went back to go get her, like, when I tell you, when I like again, how certain parts of the Bible be hard to read, it just be like, boy, this was a tough one right here. Terrible. <laughs> it was that was a terrible way to spread the news about what happened to her. Like that was all the I was like, why he couldn't just tell people? Why he had to chop her up and send her to all the tribes? 
why I don't know. But it did effectively communicate the horror of the crime, I guess. I, I don't know. I find it funny though that the Levite conveniently, conveniently left out the part of him taking hold of her and pushing her out of that door. He said every part of that story except so I took her and I pushed her out there. I handed her over to them so that they would leave me alone. Yes. Why? Because that man's already a whore. For the so threat her life is valuable. I'm saying why he did it was because, again, he just wanted justice for the threats that was made against him. Not because he valued her. Exactly. I don't know what you want, but the father stopped. Now, wait a minute. The father started it. He said, I got a door, a virgin daughter, and somebody else's wife up in here that y'all can have. Now, yeah, that part got me because I was like, hold on, wait. How you just offer my concubine? Like, okay. But I guess by him being a man of God and knowing. But that, it was a whole bunch of them, too. That particular thing about it, like he said, like literally a whole town of men came out here to, to sleep with one man instead and of this one man. How about y'all take these two women? So, uh, basically, what they're saying is, is again, even though you don't want to think about it, but they still saying one sin, if technically one sin is greater than the other. So, you could go ahead and rape my virgin daughter and all you men in this and his concubine, but you cannot touch this man. So it's okay. So it's okay for you to rape this teenage virgin and somebody else's wife, which you probably could rape her because and technically she's a whore. You understand what I'm saying? That's mm -hmm. like the, the undertone. But don't touch this man. So it's all right for you to rape and destroy these women that we don't get this lusting uh livestock. But mm -hmm. you can't but you can't go in this man's behold. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's still perpetrating like one sin is greater than the other. Like, no, you can't have nobody in here. Y'all need to go because this is God's house. You feel what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. right, whatever the case may be, I'm just saying. So, yeah, you know what I mean? But again, you telling them, look, take these two, but you can't have him. Mm -hmm. What? Would you think the daughter is okay with that? They raped this woman till she died. Mm -hmm. Well, my takeaway, my takeaway from that is how easy it is to give only partial facts or twist events to remove our own answerability when attempting to shift the blame on somebody else. And that was my takeaway from that, because, again, you, you don't want to have to answer for how she made it out there. How is it that all y'all was trapped inside the house? And they was able to 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 basically oh, murder her. Like, how was that? How did it? How did we get there? So I'm not gonna really tell you the whole story because again, if I tell you the whole story, you gonna ask you gonna ask me that. Well, why did you push her out there? Why didn't y'all just stay in the house and just let them bang outside all night, or at least try to break the door down? Or like, why? I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, why you push her out there? I'm not gonna really tell that part of the story because I don't want to have to answer nothing. I don't want to have to take no kind of accountability for what happened here. 
I don't want, nah, I'm shifting the blame all on them. This is all they're doing. They threatened me. Those men threatened me. That's what caused all of this. Those men threatened my life. And instead, you would rather throw your, instead of trying to fight them off or hold them off, you would rather give your wife, which ain't worth nothing, no way, because she a whore. That you traveled for days to go get exactly. and stayed at the, the father house for days yeah. to take her back. You did all of this for her only to just throw her outside. Throw her outside. Throw her away because again, I did all of that just to essentially fuck you up. Save yourself. I did all that to She's make you think that I love you, to make you think yourself. that I want you. But deep down, that wasn't what this was about. My takeaway from that is <laughs> say he said, save yourself. I'm saving myself. I love you, but not that much to let nobody run up in me. Mm -hmm. If it's between me and you, it's me all day. Mm -hmm. I'm definitely choosing me because I ain't going out there, motherfucker. You tripping. My bad. Um, the sad part is it took for such a horrible crime to be committed, though, for the people to, to wake up. You get what I'm saying? It takes a George Floyd for people to be like, okay, this is wrong. It takes for Breonna to tell. You get what I'm saying? Like It, it takes for something so bad to make people want to come together and be like, okay, things have gone too far in that way. Yeah. And this woman was the Been first, and she isn't even named. That's the whole point. Like, at least we can name George Floyd and Breonna. She, this, this is just the woman. This is just the concubine. And she was cut up into twelve pieces. What type of, what type of morbid mentality? What type of? Come on, man. The Bible, a, hey, and you see what people get some of this stuff from, man. Twelve pieces is sent to every tribe. But the difference in this, again, he was sending a message. Yeah, it was like, as I just said, it was a terrible way to send a message. But like I said, I guess it was just a way to convey, like I said, his message. His message is something terrible has happened. And I want you to, I, don't, I need you to understand and experience what it was. But the whole thing that gets me is that wasn't the focus. Like you cut her up. To try to tell people that something needed to be done, but you only did it because, again, these niggas threatened me. It didn't have nothing to do with her, for real, for real. That's why I can cut her up into 12 pieces. They threatened my life, and I need justice. Somebody has to pay for what... Uh, these men tried to rape me. Do you? Un I could be the dead one right now. Right, and they took my livestock because that's what she considered as livestock. She ain't even got a name. Whole concubine. The concubine. The Levite's concubine. The Levite's concubine that was a whore. That's what it said in my Bible. It says, the first thing it says, whore. What? Yes, that's the first, that's what it says in my Bible. I was reading along with you. You want me to, you want me to open it back up and, and read what mine say? I don't know you could, but why she had to be a whore? I don't know. It's in my Bible. That's why I'm saying again. That's why I said I guess it reads in the 
King James Version that she was unfaithful to him, where it says that she was angry with him. It says that, yes, but she was unfaithful to him. Let's tell you, hold on. Let me put my glasses on. <laughs> I'll tell you what mine said. Let me find it. Hold on. That's where I got that from. Well, um, how much of a whore is she that you married her? Because last time I checked, you went to your father-in-law's house to go get her back. I had to keep up with you because my book read totally different than yours. So I had to keep up and figure out where you was at or read ahead of you. Uh, it's the beginning of chapter 19. I know. They came past the days of the king of Israel. And his concubine played the whore against him and went away from him unto her father's house to the big B word and was there for whole months. I don't know what the big B word is, but she, the concubine played the whore. That's what you said? Bethlehem of Judah. Bethlehem of I'm Judah. I'm just saying what you said. Did you say that she, the concubine played the whore? Played the whore against him and went away. Okay, well, again, that sounds like the, the she became angry with him part of the year. Or the, again, she was unfaithful to him. So essentially, I guess, because of that, that's technically what they call her in that version, I guess, is the whore. She was a whore. I can't. Again, I can't. I'm moving on. And the people of Benjamin, again, didn't turn over the guilty man or were too proud to even admit that some of their people had stooped so low. And that's why the Bible said, but the people wouldn't listen. Either way, they were more loyal to their own tribe than God's laws. And by covering for their relative, the entire tribe of Benjamin sank to the level of perseverance. I'm sorry, of perversion. Yeah. The whole tribe sank to the level of perversion and violence demonstrated by the criminal. So loyalty can be another one of those harmless habits that rule our lives. That's my takeaway from that. Because again, y'all were so loyal to these people that y'all would cover up for what they did to this woman. Y'all would not just simply just turn these people over and let it be dealt with. Y'all would much rather be like, listen, that's my brother. I mean, what you want me to do? That's my cousin. What you... What do you want me to do? That's my uncle. I mean, what do you want me to do? Like, that's my large brother. That's my fraternity sister. That's my police officer. That's my protect and serve, the order. It's the order. I'm not giving up my, we can't do that. That's a, we can't snitch on each other. We can't say wrong is right is right and wrong is wrong. If we in, if we in a club together. It might seem harmless to be loyal to your brother. It might seem like that's a harmless trait to have to be loyal to your family, your friends, your job, your 
it, that's what I'm saying. It might seem like that up until they get you to do some stuff that you know you don't have no business doing. Until they try to get you to partake in something that's very unethical, very ungodly, very out of character, you are, and what you're known to be, and what you value, just because you're loyal to whatever it is that you claim to be loyal to the bloodline, the, the money, the relationship. The, the, the time span because you know that's how some people is it's just I've known this person for so long like, I understand sometimes they got to do anything because those be the, the exact ones mm-hmm. um, and they follow God's laws the local people or the government which they lacked would have brought the criminals to justice and corrected the carelessness that originally permitted the crime. And Benjamin wouldn't have lost 25,000 soldiers. And they started with 26,000. Israel lost 40,030 people. So in all, that is 65,030 people that died unnecessarily. My takeaway. To prevent your unsolved problems from turning into major conflicts, take action quickly, wisely, and forcefully before the situation gets out of hand. Because all I know is this could have been averted had they just dealt with the crime swiftly and decisively, had they just used or knew, anyway, had they just knew God's laws knowing not to take the testimony of one person. You need at least two or three witnesses. That's what he says. You don't take the testimony of just this one man and based off of this one man's word, go out here and start a whole war where 65,000 people die. You don't do that. So to prevent again, Things from like that happening, be swift, be wise, and be forceful. That's my takeaway. Thoughts, comments? I say once they, it, it's for every action is a reaction, and it's all started. <laughs> this all started with. The man, the concubine, him going to the father's house. And going, it, yeah, it all started with them. So now we have to, you, we have some perverted ass people. And you threw your wife out there, you done cut her up, and then told us now we got to go. Now all, you know what I'm saying? So now we done started a war. So first of all, you're the priest. You should know better. Not only better, you out here to throw her ass out there for them and save himself. Now, again, not only should you not even be partaking in this situation in the first place, you again, as the Bible, how it ended, are doing things as you see fit, yeah, as you think is the right way to go about things. Meanwhile. Not going to, with my laws. As as my laws, 
you you should know if anybody that nobody should convict somebody based off the testimony of one person. If anybody know that, you should know that. Not only that, he was a Levite. So because he spoke up, what'd you say? I said they done it then and they doing it now. But that's my point. As a Levite, you should know that. You should be the one to have been like, oh, ask such and such and ask such and such. But why again didn't he do that? Because now I have to answer questions. Now I'm the one who's going to be held responsible for this situation. Now they're going to look at me and place the blame on me if I tell the actual truth or if I let these other two people speak. However, let me use, like I said, my status. Okay, so I as a Levite, I have to be telling the truth. I'm the priest. So why do we even need the testimony of other, the other two people, right? My word is, it should be enough. My word should be enough for two and three people. I'm the priest. The priest who got the whore as a wife. The priest the, who got the, the wife who is sleeping with all these men and then went back to her daddy house and then four months later, I have decided to go talk to her to convince her to come back to me. This is the person y'all let talk. But clearly it was supposed to pan out how it was supposed to because when they went to go ask the Lord, how things were supposed to go, he answered. Judah is to go attack them people. And for me, why I feel like he let it happen the way it was supposed to happen, for the same reason he did it in all the other chapters, you got too many people. If I let 400,000 men go out there right now against these 26,000, y'all ain't going to be able to say this was me. Mm -hmm. Y'all going to try to take the credit. Y'all going to try to take the rap like y'all did this all y'all self. When no, this is me. So I'm gonna let y'all go out there and lose a couple men out there and bat them. So that once y'all dwindle down and lose a couple more, y'all, y'all know. I'm all up and through here. All right, I am who I say I am. Mm -hmm. Now chapter 20 is the only mention of the Ark of the Covenant of God and Phineas being the high priest at the time. Now he also served as high priest to Joshua, and he was the one who led the delegation with Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh built that altar, which was held at Shiloh. But the text said, in those days, the tabernacle was in Bethel, not Shiloh. So my guess is this happened sometime after Joshua died and during the early years of the judges. So for me... These last few chapters, 17 through 21, that basically demonstrated how they got to the point of needing judges. How they failed God's test, falling into idolatry, moral decline, and petty fighting. And the times they did call on the Lord, it was for selfish purposes. Like that, that rash vow that they made in the heat of the moment not to give any of their daughters to the men of the tribe of Benjamin. So now, feeling sorry, they couldn't possibly that they could possibly lose one of their tribes. They just go destroy a whole innocent town to correct their mistake. And because they just keep doing whatever seemed right in their own eyes, 
God said, okay, this ain't work. Like this, this ain't going to work. They need a human leader guiding them constantly since they only seem to call on me when they hit rock bottom. So he raised up judges to rescue them because the next book, Ruth, starts with the very words in the days when the judges ruled in Israel. So I don't see God going backwards because judges ends with in those days, Israel had no king and all the people did whatever seemed right in their eyes. So I feel like the judges was basically, like I said, told I guess somewhat kind of backwards. Like I said, the last few chapters that we read is basically why how things got started. Like I said, it started with the individuals, then it got down to the priests, then it got down to the nation, you know what I'm saying? The clans and the tribes. And now it's the whole damn nation. They are morally defiled. They are spiritually defiled. They are physically, like they're just doing vile, evil, criminal things. The, and this is how you all are just all at heart when I let you do things yourself. So I can't let you do things yourself. Let me go ahead and raise up somebody to come rescue you. Because you can't do it. You cannot do it. You failed the test. You have failed. After again, Joshua left, and nobody was the direct leader. And I wanted to see if you all could sustain yourselves without me having to physically put somebody in front of you and tell you what to do. You could not do it. You failed. So now let me raise up a judge who get ready to come tell you what it is y'all supposed to do. Because I'm tired of, yes, you fools can't get it right on your own. So my final takeaway for this season is because human nature hasn't changed today, individuals, groups, and societies have made themselves the final authority without any reference to God. And when people selfishly satisfy their own personal desires at any cost, everyone pays the price. We will lose if we continue to gather the spoils of earthly treasures rather than seeking the treasures of heaven. Samson, Gideon, and Jephthah were well known and quite heroic. However, their personal lives were far from it. He chose those men to be heroes. He chose those men to be judges even though their personal lives were far from what God would basically want their attitudes to be. It was far away from that. Samson again out here sleeping with the prostitutes. Everybody's just basically again doing what they feel it seems right at the time. However, however, they didn't store up their personal treasures, not all of them anyway, their personal treasures in earthly things. They knew deep down God got something to do with this. God is all up in here and through this. 
And clearly, clearly, when we put away our own selfish desires and satisfy his will, his way, we're going to win every time. We're going to win every time. However, when you go the complete opposite, like everybody basically has been doing, well, in these last chapters, pretty much anyways. And some, again, like I said, some of the judges as well. Let me see. Jephthah is the one who offered the daughter, right? Mm -hmm. That's the one who offered the daughter to whoever come um, outside. You get what I'm saying? Again, the, 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 the dumb vow. Whoever comes out here to greet me, First, yeah. I will offer as a burnt sacrifice to the Lord. What did you think was going to come out of this house to greet you? I'm still not understanding that. What did you think was coming to greet you? Like these people again, they was all over the place. They was all over the place. And as a result, a lot of people paid the price. So all I can say is again, as I stated. Try to change because human nature has not changed. Clearly, human nature has not changed. Everybody is making themselves the final authority without referring to God. I get the last say, so I don't have to go ask the Lord what he desires. And as a result, my kids pay for it. They kids pay for it. My friends pay for my decisions. Everybody pay for my decisions. Right. Thoughts, comments? No, that was good. That's it. That's it for this week's episode. That's it for this. Not this season again. That's not it for this season. You make sure y'all tune in next week. But until then, I am Meek, your host and storyteller. And with me as always, Fish, your thought commentator. All right, guys. Stay tuned next week where we'll be giving our moral of the story. Until then, stay blessed, stay safe, and stay reading and meditating on the Bible daily. Peace. this episode of 2020 Bible Stories. Stay tuned next week for a new episode.